Hey there, and welcome to episode 22 of the Beneath the Sats podcast, produced by Wicked Local North Boston. I'm your host, Rob McKittrick. Joining me today on the 10th anniversary of the launching of 985 The Sports Hub is Rob Poole, a.k.a. Hardy, from Zolak and Bertrand on 985 The Sports Hub in Boston. Hardy, thanks so much for joining me. Oh, it's my pleasure, Robbie. Thank you. Now, Hardy, you've described yourself as, quote, largely an unknown on the Hurley Edition podcast. I think, I, I think Hurley described me as largely unknown. <laughs> <laughs> but from what I've seen, you've received your bachelor's degree in journalism from Michigan State in 93, and you've held a variety of jobs in both the radio and the sports media field, such as an on-field announcer for the Boston Cannons, a host of the Patriots and Revolution pre- and post-game shows, a serious XM radio host, a radio host at WBCN, and you've worked at CBS Radio, which is now Beasley Media Group, as what I would call a starting utility man, doing a bunch of different things for a number of years, such as producing and editing segments, and even you're hosting your own golf show. And I mentioned to you, I, I listen to you on Zolak and Bertrand all the time. I watch you on TV. And it's funny because we were going back and forth on email. I told you today, you'll email me during your show. And the next inmate, you're talking again. I email you back. You respond again. So clearly you're good at multitasking. <laughs> <laughs> Do you find your, your mind can handle a bunch of different things at once? Are you emailing with anyone else during this podcast episode? How do you handle all these different things? Well, if you'll check your email, uh, Robbie, I just emailed you while you were speaking and, I, and I, <laughs> I answered your question. What did I say? Open up your email. What did I say? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Go ahead, open it up. <laughs> not really. <laughs> not really. I'm not really good at multitasking, but I, I find that's what I, I just said. Not really. Um, <laughs> no, uh, you have to be. Uh, truly, you have to be. And I, I don't think it's always the best way of doing it. I find that in, with most things in life, uh, I'm better, and I think we're all better when we focus in on one thing and see it to its completion. But uh, things happen, you know, and things pop up and whether it's in the middle of a show or in the middle of a, of a job or in the middle of a career, as with happened with me when I was, you know, a rock DJ for 15 years and they blew up WBCN and I had to convince myself and some other people that I could do, you know, strictly sports. Um, you just do it. So yeah, I think it's good to kind of keep an open mind and be able to do multiple things, not necessarily at the same time, but, uh, I, I guess in order to really survive and thrive in this business, it doesn't hurt to be versatile. And I've tried I've tried to remain versatile, and I guess it's kind of become my calling card after all these years. Especially with something like radio where things are changing on the fly, you have to react to the moment. Obviously, doing a bunch of different things and going with the flow is a huge thing. And now, as I mentioned, I listened to Michael Hurley's interview of you on the Hurley Edition podcast. It's great for anyone interested to check it out. And during the interview, you said you're a jack of all trades, but a master of none, which I think is not giving yourself enough credit. You know, I, I said you're a starting utility man. I wouldn't call you a Brock Holt as a bench player, more like a last year's Nathan Avaldi in the playoffs. But what do you tell people when they ask what you do? How do you identify yourself? Do you identify yourself as a radio host, as an editor, as a producer, or how do you view yourself in terms of your career as this far? You know, it's funny. I just had to fill out something online recently and, you know, they asked for my career occupation and thank <laughs> God that they left it like, you know, really ambiguous. And I was able to just put like media communications. Right. Uh, but, you know, first and foremost, yeah, I'm a radio guy. And, uh, you know, I started doing that in high school back in the 80s, back in uh, what was at the time, Auburn Heights, Michigan, now Auburn Hills, Michigan. I started working at my high school radio station. And, uh, you know, I, I did that all through high school and college and thought I wanted to go into TV, maybe even TV news. But I don't know, man. It just seemed kind of 
I, I, I guess I did a little bit of it and realized it was mostly nonsense, at least at the beginning, you know, the stuff that you had to do. And I, I just wasn't up for it. And I was already working as a DJ. And I thought, well, as long as I'm going to be doing nonsense, I'd rather do it in a format where the nonsense is encouraged. And we were encouraged to be natural and just be ourselves. And that at the time was like an alternative music format where you could just, you know, let the mistakes happen and not try and be perfect and kind of embrace the chaos of it all, which is what I did for years. And I, I started doing a lot of production. Um, again, just kind of forced into it, working at a small market radio station in, in Lansing, Michigan, where everybody had to wear multiple hats. And I started literally cutting and splicing tape to to figure out how to you know make station promos or commercials and uh, you know, managed to use that to get my next job and my next job. And you know, uh, next thing you know, you're just kind of branching out. And, and, and it's been an interesting time to be in radio because um, the medium has changed so much. What now with with podcasting and having to add video elements to uh, a lot of what we do, and uh, to create these things that will live forever online for people. So you got to step up your game, production wise, content wise. And I, I just feel if you're not versatile, if you're not willing to change and grow and learn, then uh, you're going to be out of the business. And a lot of people I I was in the business with in the '90s, they're out. Now, some of them have gone on to great things. Hell, they're, you know, they're lawyers now or they're, you know, the investment bankers or whatever. But uh, the, the, the handful of people who have stuck with it have had to evolve. And, uh, you know, that's that's what I've done. And, the, you know, the ultimate evolution, I guess, was going from, you know, being a music DJ to being a, right. uh, a sports guy on the radio. But I'm still a radio guy and I still host, you know, music programs on on Sirius XM on a couple of different channels. And you know, again, it's just about maintaining that vers- versatility, I guess, and 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 not wanting to say no to anything, Robbie. Really, I mean, that's kind of my that's kind of my thing. It's like I work a lot, I do a lot of different jobs still, um, because I, I guess I think in the back of my mind, one day that you know that proverbial phone isn't going to ring, you know, and and I would hate to at at that point say, God, I wish I would have said yes to this or yes to that. Hopefully the the phone won't ring one day because I'm dead and no one's calling because well we know he's not available so we won't ask him. But until that time, I I try to be available and I try to make my default answer yes, even if I'm not quite sure what it is that I'm going to be doing. And during the Hurley Edition podcast, during the interview, you mentioned even being an extra in a David Ortiz commercial. It does always <laughs> it, it it always seems like you're trying to do something else, something different. Is there a natural curiosity in addition to obviously wanting to stay in the business and doing a bunch of different things such as the Fuppets and Mad Mike and Squeaky Mads for Felgram Maz? Is there a sense of curiosity or what is it about your personality, do you think, that wants you to try all these different things such as being in a commercial with David Ortiz? Wow. Wow, this is this is like in depth psychological. Uh hey, it's I, called beneath the stats for a yeah, reason. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, okay. Well, first things first, sometimes that's just about money, you know, and right. it's like all right, well, here's a good gig, and it doesn't look like it's going to be too hard. And in a case of you know working as an extra in a David Ortiz commercial, it had to do with golf. They were looking for golfers, and I'm a golfer, so they just needed people to show up at a driving range and be in the background hitting shots while David Ortiz was doing his Skechers commercial. Uh, and you may have seen it. He like you know shows up at a driving range and pulls a bat out of a golf bag and starts <laughs> hitting golf balls with his bat. And you can't even see me in it, but I was there and they paid like a ridiculous amount of money just to stand there and pretend to hit golf balls. for Yeah. So sometimes it's, it's for that. But in the case of like, whether it's the Fuppets for Felger and Maz or it's, you know, doing something else, 
Yeah, I think it is like a natural curiosity. And it's just my personality. It's like when I go to, you know, when I'm, you know, reading books in my leisure time, which I don't have very much of, I, I find myself reading nonfiction stuff about things that I ordinarily would not have any interest in. But I, I, I guess I just have this natural curiosity. The last time it popped up, it was years ago when uh, Alex Honnold free soloed El Capitan. Yes. And I don't know anything about mountain climbing, but I, I remember it's like, I kind of wear it as this like stupid badge of honor. I was the first guy to talk about it in Boston. And and the day he did it, I was reading online about it. And I go off on it on the air one day with, with Zoe and Beetle. And when, when Felger came in that day, he said, Hardy, will you come on our show today and tell that story again about that guy who did that mountain climbing thing? I'm like, see that sometimes stuff is just interesting, you know? And, and to me, whether it's about a rock climber or whether it's about, you know, figuring out how how to how, how do you make a video using puppets, and would that be funny? I don't know, but let's try it. You know, let's that that's what kind of keeps me going. You know, something new, something different. Because if you start to do the same thing over and over again, which we're all you know victim of at one time or another, you get bored. And I I don't ever want to be bored going to work. I don't ever want to be bored getting up in the morning thinking about oh what are the, what is it that I want to do today? Well, let's you know even if we're doing the same old thing, let's try and put a new twist on it because. You know, it's it's what keeps things interesting. Well, it's definitely interesting to watch and to listen. They're going through a bunch of different things you've produced and edited. I know there are the, sort of the raps and the songs you're talking about on your show today, how you would mark down different times of the games and make it into a song with a rhyme. So you're doing a great job of it and, and as, a, as a listener, as a viewer. It's very interesting. But I did want to transition to your radio career a little bit in the back half of this podcast. Because as I said, it's the 10-year anniversary of the Sports Hub. Yep. and when you first started back in 2009, what first comes to mind? I know, as I said, I listened to your interview, so I know that it was it was a difficult to transition to doing normal radio as a, as a music DJ host to sports talk radio where you're talking a lot more. Do you have a memorable moment on or off the air over the last 10 years that you remember? I know it's very difficult for you to start, but is there a specific thing you remember about your time so far since you started 10 years ago? Yeah, well, I mean, I remember the fear at the beginning, like a, right. you know, a, a tangible, I don't know if I can do this, you know, you know, uh, from going from speaking for only a couple minutes at a time in, the, in music radio. And even when I was hosting longer form shows, you know, there would be an interview, there would be someone in studio, you know, the, Billy Corgan from Smashing Pumpkins was sitting across from me. And it's that's very easy to fill an hour's worth of time when you're, you know, speaking with someone. But when it just they point to you and say go and you get to talk for 15 minutes about a Red Sox game that uh, you maybe don't have a whole lot of passion about but you still have to figure out a way to to fill those 15 minutes about something Red Sox related yeah I think there's a there was a healthy amount of fear at the beginning but something that Fred Toucher mentioned today and something that I've thought about many times over the years whether someone said it to me or I just came to the realization it may have even been from talking to Fred who I've been friends with, you know, since way back, you know, to our BCN days, was that it's just radio. And whether you're doing alternative rock or you're doing sports talk or you're doing a public affairs show, whatever it is, it's radio. And I knew that I knew how to do radio. I had been doing radio when the Sports Hub launched full time for 15 years already. So I had... I guess at some point early on in the Sports Hub process, it's just radio. 
You know, don't overthink it. And we had a lot of great sports guys who were on board right away, whether it was Maz or Felger, who had a great sports background, Zoe, of course. But they needed some radio guys there to help them on the radio end. So I reminded myself of that and still remind myself of that plenty over the years. Whenever it is, I'm getting ready to, you know, jump into a new venture, whether it's, you know, hosting a show by myself or even taking the job at the Patriots, which I did a couple of years ago on Patriots.com doing their pre and post game shows with a couple of like bona fide football experts. You know what? A podcasting radio, they're very similar. You're still hosting a show. You still got to make it entertaining. And I, at the very least, I know how to do that. I may not always do it. I'm not saying I'm the greatest host or the most entertaining or, you know, the best production guy, but I, I know what it is when I've done it, and I, I I have a pretty good idea of what I need to do to get there. Uh, and, and again, Robbie, not to say that I'm always successful in that, but I think that's the one thing that I keep you know going back to and keep myself grounded in is, hey, man, it's just radio. You know how to do radio. Don't don't get caught up in the in the in the unknown part of it. Focus in on the known and what you know is is how to do radio so that's that's what i try and keep reminding myself of and i guess a follow-up question for you here is how do you do radio what do you think has been key for you in (laughs) becoming either a radio personality what have you learned from the many years you've done it what would you tell someone who's trying to start a career in radio into how to be a radio host whether it's as a music dj or hosting a sports talk show you got to find your own voice and i think at some point you know i found my voice as being you know, uh, a, a combination of of being like natural and authentic sounding, but still trying to to maintain some linear line of discourse. Wow, does that sound like a bunch of words mapped together <laughs> that don't mean anything? You know what I'm saying? Like, like again, Fred Toucher and uh, has a very relaxed delivery, right? But when you listen to Fred. He doesn't ham and haw his way through a bunch of sentences. You know, he's very good at getting his thoughts across. And there are other guys who are good at getting their thoughts across, but they do it in such a manner (laughs) that makes you think they're reading it from a script and not actually delivering it from off the top of their head. You know what I'm saying? So you got to keep it natural. You got to keep it flowing. But to me, that's the the biggest... thing to remember is that you got to you got to remain natural in radio because it is for the most part here's what I should have said from the very beginning Robbie cut off the last 2 minutes okay <laughs> cut all that part out here's what it is here's what here's how you do radio you remember that most of the time someone listening to you on the radio or in a podcast or anything is listening to you by themselves they're in a car or they've got headphones on and it's just one voice in their head talking to them and if you can remember that instead of addressing the audience as a whole or saying, now listen to this, people, because what I'm about to tell you is very important, right? Although Rush Limbaugh has been doing that for years and he's a gazillionaire, so maybe I'm full of crap. But I think, <laughs> but I still think the best advice is, remember, radio is a very personal experience. And think of your audience as one person. And I think that will do wonders to helping you be relatable and to, to establish a good line of communication with your audience when you remember that your audience, really, when it comes down to it, is just one person. That's 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 how I think about radio, and that's how I think that's how you do radio. Remember who the audience is. It's pretty much just one guy or one girl listening by themselves. That's how you do radio. 
I think it's really good advice, and I had never thought of it that way. And I think it comes across when you're doing radio for Zolak and Bertram because one of the reasons I wanted to have you on is that you seem like a very genuine, authentic person who has a lot of interesting thoughts, and it's almost like I'm talking to you one-on-one. So that's clearly coming across through the radio, but I never thought of it that way, so it's very interesting. Now, to bring it back to the Hurley Edition podcast, because there was a lot of stuff in there, and a lot thought it was very interesting to hear your perspective. And talking about radio people, I thought it was interesting. Now, I don't know, I think you were talking mostly about radio DJs. (laughs) Yeah, the worst part about working in radio is you have to work with a bunch of radio people, yes. I believe you said, quote, they are the worst, (laughs) unquote. Yeah, they are, yeah. But you don't seem to have the ego because you talked about how people often think they're bigger than they are, they're more important than they are. You don't seem to have that. Why do you think that is? Well, I've been humbled, you know, several times throughout my throughout my career. You know, I've uh, you know I've uh, started in a very very small market. Uh, I worked my way up, making very little money. Um, and even when I thought I was, I was, you know, doing well and managed to, you know, buy my, my first uh, condo out in Vegas, I wouldn't make it any money really. And I was still working my ass off. And then, you know, after I had already been established, you know, moved to Boston, working for BCN afternoon drive. Well, then I got moved to nights when the, the whole David Lee Roth, uh, fiasco happened and, you know, Fred and Rich had to be hired and they went into afternoons and I went to nights and then, you know, back to afternoons for a hot minute before I, I essentially was out of a job when BCM went away and I had to, you know, I had to reapply and get rehired immediately, you know, like the same instant I got fired, be rehired by the sports hub and kind of start all over again as a part-time guy working in a format that I'd never worked in before as a, God, what was I, 38 years old at the time. So that's humbling, you know, and, and it's really tough to be cocky and act like you've got it all figured out when 15 years into your career, you kind of have to start over again. So I, I think that helps. And, and then once you do it, you appreciate where you came from and what it took to get there. And also to realize that it could go away at any time, which kind of brings us back to why I say yes to all this stuff. It's right. like, I, I don't know what's going to happen. So I'm going to make myself as useful as I can in as many different areas as I can so that it's harder to get rid of me. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's, it's a good way to go. I got a couple more questions to wrap this up because I don't want to take too much of your time. I know you're a very busy guy doing no. a bunch of different. Everybody's like, Robbie. Don't let, don't believe that. When everyone says, "Oh, I'm so busy," everybody's busy. And, and even if you're just busy because you want to, you know, if you want to binge watch Stranger Things, fine. You're busy doing that, okay? So no, I'm no busier than anyone else. No, don't don't ever don't ever let someone tell you they're too busy. Nonsense. Go ahead. Fair enough. I appreciate it. So, to, a couple more questions for you. As I said. Now, we haven't even gone into your nickname of how you became Hardy, and I don't want to go all into it, but I know that it had the nickname in college, and eventually you came to where you are today, where I didn't even know you knew your name was Rob Poole. Right. Do people ever call you Rob Poole anymore? Does anyone know you as Rob Poole? Do you respond to Hardy more than Rob? How does that work? Uh, like... Uh, family, neighbors, like other parents at my kids' school, they all know me as Rob. Some of me don't even know what I what I do, or it takes them a while to figure out what I do. And, you know, it doesn't really matter. But, yeah, the nickname Hardy, it's a stupid long story. It's, it's going to bore everybody, so I want Listen to it on the Hurley Edition podcast. <laughs> well, you know, okay. Hot Rod Hearts. It was a Bobby Dupree song from the 70s. Somebody in, in college thought my name was Rod as opposed to Rob and started calling me Hot Rod. That turned into Hot Rod Hearts. That got shortened to Hearts, which became Hardy. 
There you go. There's the 10 second version. There we go. But uh, yeah, um, you know, my wife calls me uh, Robert. And uh, if she's really pissed off at me because I'm acting like a jerk, she calls me hard. That's funny. <laughs> she feels that, yeah, I've, I've slipped into my media persona and she you know, wants to take me down a peg or two. <laughs> That's funny. Now, to wrap it up, I know you're a big soccer guy. You're a big golf guy. I'm sorry you once again did not get to go to the Masters. Are you, are you, are you optimistic you'll eventually get Masters tickets? Uh, no. But I have already decided that uh, in a couple of years when I – Oh my God, I can't believe in a couple of years I turned 50. So uh, if I have not won tickets in the Masters Lottery by then, my wife and I have already decided that uh, for my 50th birthday, we're not having a big party. We're not doing anything. Instead, what we will do is buy a you know package that will get us tickets and hotel and all that stuff and just pay through the nose to go to the Masters. So one way or the other, uh, I plan on being there no later than uh, 2021. How's that? <laughs> There you go. Well, is there anything else you want to add that I ask you about? No, Robbie. I just, I, 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 you know, I'm always happy to to talk to you. And I know uh, from looking at what you've done and the stuff uh, I've learned about you that, you know, you're, you're kind of doing a lot of what I think uh, I recommend people do. You know, people say to me all the time, it's like, you know, how do you recommend getting started? And I, I just say, you know what, do as much as you can write, you know, record, do podcasts, and it seems like you're already doing all that. So I think if, you know, uh, if people ask you or ask me, you know, how do you get started in this business? I, my advice is like, just start, start by doing something. You know, I got my journalism degree, but I wasn't doing a whole lot of writing. And I, I ended up doing more writing in my first couple of jobs, whether it was copywriting for commercials or promos. And then, you know, for you, you're actually doing writing, writing, but you're also podcasting, you know, do a bunch of stuff, see what it is that, you like, and then see what it is that you're good at. And hopefully they end up being the same thing in a couple of different areas. And then kind of like, you know, follow that path to where it leads you. And don't be afraid to say, to, to say no. If somebody asks you to do something that might be outside your comfort zone, you know, try it. If you hate it, you know, this, you know, there's very few times in life are you forced into doing something you might end up loving it and find uh you know you've got a, a whole second or third career somewhere because lord knows i do two or three jobs now and i i wouldn't give any of them up so i'm 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 happy to keep saying yes well thanks so much for joining me hardy i really appreciate you coming on i appreciate the kind words make sure to follow hardy on twitter at hardy 98.5 also make sure to tune in to zolak and bertrand every day during the week from 10 a.m to 2 p.m on 98.5 the sports hub in NBC Sports Boston and the Sports Hub Golf Club at 7 a.m. on Saturdays. I, I, there's probably more stuff that I left out, but <laughs> Hardy, thanks so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, you're, you're making me tired just thinking about it. So <laughs> no, let, let, please leave it leave it there, uh, Robbie. And I, I appreciate you having me on. Thank you. Thanks again to Hardy for joining the podcast. I thought he gave a great perspective on radio, how he tries to speak to individuals on a personal level, thinking about one person rather than an audience as a whole. And I think it was really good advice. I think you could tell how authentic and genuine and how nice of a guy he actually is. Just great to talk to. Really happy he could join, especially on the 10th anniversary of the 98.5 The Sports Hub. It was just a coincidence. As I said, during the podcast, I was emailing with him while he was on the show. He would say something. Then I would email him. He emailed me back a minute later. And then he'd say something again on the show. It was really something, as he said, multitasking as he was emailing me on the podcast. So very funny guy, very interesting. I hope you enjoyed those 22 minutes of interview. As I say, there's a lot of people. I would have loved to talk with him 
a lot longer, probably an hour, probably really to go into depth on each individual topic about his career before the 985 The Sports Hub. As I said, he talks about that a lot on the early edition podcast. Everyone should check that out. It's really interesting, but really enjoyed talking to him. I haven't done the podcast for a few weeks, so I want to talk mostly about the Red Sox here to end the podcast because it's really the last few weeks has been a huge turn in the Red Sox season and it's over and in the last podcast episode a few weeks ago it was before the trade deadline and I was voicing my frustration that people were saying that how they performed in the week before the trade deadline would determine whether they would be buyers or sellers at the deadline and to me I always thought that was so ridiculous unless they went on some massive losing streak they didn't have to go on a tear because they're already within striking distance to get to the playoffs in terms of the wild card they're only a couple games back it was Oakland and Tampa ahead of them the Sox have been playing inconsistent but I thought the talent was there and that if they got it together they would be fine I didn't fear Tampa I didn't fear Oakland well I didn't think they would lose eight in a row like they did a week or two after the trade deadline and after getting swept in New York, after losing to Tampa, they had a big deficit. And the Sox needed to come ready to go the last week after they lost eight in a row. And they had won a few games in a row. But now after losing three in a row to Indians last night and the Angels before that, after having a couple wins, it's over. They're eight and a half back. They're nine games back in the loss column from the Rays. Oakland's in front of them as well. And with 41 games left, is just no chance his team's going to make the playoffs, and it's pretty sad. And they have to go just to keep pace with Tampa and Oakland if they keep playing at the same pace as those teams are playing at. They need to go something like 31-11 and 11 in their next 42 or 31-10 and 10 in their next 41 to even have a shot here, and that's better than they even played last year. That's over 123-game win pace. And this team has shown through its lack of consistency in starting pitching and bullpen that this team is not good enough to do that. And it's a large enough of a sample size now that although it is the same roster as last year besides basically Kimbrell and Joe Kelly, and as I mentioned, Kimbrell wasn't great in the playoffs and Joe Kelly wasn't great in the regular season besides probably a half. Although it's the same roster basically as last season, this is not the same team. And that is clear after a large sample of games here, this team cannot win consistently in the regular season. And if they get to the playoffs, as I said, I still think they could be a tough team to beat, and they could even make the World Series because the talent is there if they play up to their capabilities, which is what they showed last year. But we have seen the starting pitching, number one, has been brutal. Sale has been inconsistent, although he had a good start last outing. He's been inconsistent. Eduardo Rodriguez has really been their only consistent starter, but again, he was bad last night. David Price has been terrible since the Eck comments, and he's now hurt. Kashner is absolutely brutal, should be nowhere near the major leagues, and they just demoted him to a relieving position. And Brian Johnson, whoever you want to throw as a fifth starter, when Price is out, is you don't know what you're going to get. And Priscilla has the worst ERA in the majors as a starter. So the starting pitching has killed them from the beginning of the season to now, and that's been the biggest reason why they're not going to make the playoffs. And secondly, you had the bullpen. You have a bad bullpen, bad starting pitching. That's not a formula for success. And the bullpen, although Workman's been solid, Waldman's been solid, and Barnes is inconsistent as long as he doesn't have too much workload, he's okay, although he had a recent blow and save, the bullpen hasn't been consistent enough either. And the starting pitching has put stress on the bullpen to throw too many innings. They don't have enough guys, and they're blowing games. And the last two losses have been such a huge example of the problem for this team in that in the last two games, they've lost close games, and that both of their starters have big deficits for the teams early, 
the offense came back. In the bullpen, although they pitched okay at times, they ended up losing the game for them. And it was so typical the last two losses. And it's very simple that the bullpen and the starting pitching, the pitching staff as a whole, is letting this offense down. And the most frustrating thing as a fan when you look at for this Red Sox team is this is not the Boston Celtics of this past season, which was a dysfunctional team with no team chemistry. And although they had a ton of talent like this Red Sox team and underachieved in those ways, they are similar. But that team from the beginning of the season to the end of the season, the chemistry wasn't there. They had no heart. It's not hard to look at that team and, and figure out why they lost. Mentally, they weren't there. They had a terrible leader in Kyrie Irving. The guys didn't accept their roles. That was more like the Chicken and Beer Red Sox 2011 than this team. This team, it's frustrating because if they make the playoffs, they could go on a run and win this thing. They showed it they could win last year. The Celtics team never won. Although they went to the Eastern Conference Finals, they had never won and never went far with those group of guys. It's different when you look at a team like the Red Sox, who were there last year and won it all last year, basically the same core, and they're just not performing well. And I don't think it's a toughness issue. I don't think it's a resiliency or character issue. I just think it's guys not pitching well, guys having off years. And maybe there is a championship hangover. Maybe guys didn't have the same level of intensity to begin the year. Maybe there wasn't the same level of preparation or the same level, level of motivation. I'll buy that, partly. But the biggest thing is it's just not performing well. And baseball is a sport where, yes, team chemistry is important, attitude is important. But at the end of the day, it's how you play on the field. And this team has shown fight. And the reason why I didn't give up on this team is that after they went on the eight-game losing streak, they then had a great start from Sale, who was vintage sale and showed the toughness and came back after a lousy start and pitched well. And then they went on a big 16-4 victory, 14-4, whatever it was, and the offense showed that they had the resiliency and the carry to fight back. They looked like a winning team that day. So they've looked at it throughout the season. The problem is they haven't done it consistently. And it comes down to the starting pitching and the pitching. And the pitching staff ERA overall from last season is much higher. It's around 4.81 overall compared to 3.75. At least it was a day or two ago. According to last year, ranked from 8th to 21st. Overall, their pitching stats across the board from starting pitching and bullpen area are both up in the fours when they were both down in the threes last season. So the bullpen not getting it done, the starters not getting it done. As I said, it's frustrating from a fan perspective because they have the talent, and to me, they have the heart and the character and the resiliency and the mental makeup. It's just guys are having bad years. Pitching staff-wise, starting rotation, and in the bullpen, and obviously Dombrowski did nothing for the, to help them the deadline, and that didn't help them either. So very frustrating to go from a team with 108 wins, massively overachieved, if you can even call it that because they have such a great roster, but an 108-win season is an overachievement, to a team that is massively underachieved. And it's interesting now. Red Sox won, Patriots won, we were feeling good, but now potentially three straight losses here. What are we going to do? Bruins tough game seven loss, Celtics look terrible in the playoffs, and the Red Sox probably won't make the playoffs. So time to get on board for Patriots season. I'm not going to get into all the Brady selling the house nonsense. We'll see where that goes. But to end it, unless the Sox go on a, a tear like the Mets did winning 14 to 15, 15 to 16 games, it's over. Let's focus on the Pats and hopefully they can recover next year because this Sox team doesn't have the consistency to come back and make the playoffs and go on a run. If you enjoyed this podcast, please make sure to check out my other episodes on the Wicked Local North of Boston website or on my social media accounts. You can also follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Robbie McKittrick for latest podcast information. Thanks so much for listening.